Hey everybody, welcome to the Decoding Cocktails podcast. I'm your host, Chris LeBeau. The goal of this show is to understand the inner workings and evolution of mixology, hospitality, and community. As I further my own knowledge of the field, I'm inviting you to join me. You'll hear me interview people from around the industry about their work and beliefs. If you like what you hear, the best way to keep up is to subscribe via the podcast app you use. And if you think others will like this, I invite you to share an episode or write a review. Your words help grow our audience. And you can keep up with the latest news via our newsletter, Cocktail Confidential, or see what we're working on via Instagram. And please reach out. I'd enjoy hearing what you liked, learned, and what else you'd like to see me dig into. So let's get into it. What's happening, everybody? Welcome to a a rather unorthodox uh, edition of Decoding Cocktails. And so by that, I mean I just came back from the city of New Orleans for Tales of the Cocktail. What is that? Well, first things, if you were following me on Instagram, and if you're not, I don't know why you're not, at Decoding Cocktails, duh. But it is a cocktail convention, and it was founded in 2002. A woman named Ann Rogers started this walking tour that was really just like, hey, our city has a cocktail history. Let's walk, walk and talk about it. In 2003, it became known as Tales, Stories, if you will, of the Cocktail. And so for, by 2003, um, Ann is known for being a rather enterprising person, uh, she found the few luminaries kind of out there and beckoned them to, to New Orleans. They did like three events um, and, uh, you know, handed out, you know, had a couple of dinners and that was it. And the thing kind of slowly grew. Then Hurricane Katrina, Jesus. But in 2006, Anne came back and decided to go all in. She cashed in her 401k, took out a big loan, um, but also bumped into... Uh, a gentleman who is considered to be one of the most enterprising people in the industry, uh, Simon Ford. And Simon at the time was working for Plymouth Gin as, I believe, what's considered to be probably like the first real brand ambassador of any of this era. But anyways, Simon put some Plymouth Gin money and press behind it, and the event plus an awards ceremony really began to blow up at that point. Um, within a couple of years, it, went, it was 4,000 people was the count, and by the time you get up to COVID, you're talking 15, 17, 18,000 people. This year was the 20th anniversary of the convention. Uh, as it's gotten bigger, it is, um, there's a lot of corporate money in now, which has its ups and downs. But being of the industry, I decided I wanted to go down for my first look at it and to see what this is all about. Uh, nice as it was, a uh, recent guest, Marshall Manaya of Valerie in New York, was also going for his first tales. And so we caught up and it was really fun. We ended up uh, palling around for a big portion of it and got to take it in together. Um, as you can hear by even just the growth of numbers, uh, tales is not three events anymore. It is a, sh- a, by any account, daunting number of events and micro events. It is overwhelming to look at the agenda. And But towards the end of it, because this is a five-day thing, and some people, many people don't go for the whole thing, um, being my first time, I was like, all right, I'm going to go for the whole thing. But I asked Marshall, I think it was the day before uh, we were going to be done, 
said, hey, do you want to sit down and talk about our experience? And he was like, hell yeah, let's do it. So we sat down fairly spontaneously to record our experience at Tales. And so you'll get a little bit of that. In addition, on the back end of this, and it's very, um, it is very kind of spontaneous, uh, but uh, right before we started to record, he and I, a lovely lady by the name of Ariana Hone, uh, who works for High West Distillery, you might know their whiskeys, uh, she's out in Utah, hi Ariana, but she uh, she sat down because she and Marshall, one, she was talking about her experience at Tales, um, and they were also since they're both more deep in the industry from a professional standpoint, um, we're really kind of reminiscing about some of their um, experiences during COVID and since. And it really just felt like um, a very useful piece. And so you will find that kind of as the uh, on the back part of the the uh, the interview. And I hope you like it. Um, but yeah, I, I just wanted you to kind of hear what Tales was all about because I'm I'm glad I went, even though I was real tired at the end. And um, so, yeah, I, I hope you enjoy uh, this. It, it's broken down into two segments. There'll be a little transition. Um, but, yeah, yeah, uh, enjoy this conversation uh, with uh, Marshall and myself and then Marshall and Ariana. Okay, everybody, what's happening? Welcome uh, to the uh, close to the tail end of Tales of the Cocktail, the uh, on the third floor of the Ritz Carlton here in New Orleans. And uh, to the millions out there that are regular listeners to the podcast, you might remember uh, uh, one uh, Marshall Manaya from Valerie in Manhattan. Uh, Marshall and I are both down here for our first inaugural tales. And uh, it was great. We had each other to kind of tag around with and learn how do you do this convention. Uh, also, we'll uh, layer into the, to the podcast. Uh, we were fortunate to have a uh, very spontaneous uh, guest, uh, a gal named uh, Ariana Hone from the High West Distillery in Utah, sat down. And um, there's something here at Tales called uh, CAP, which is a cocktail apprentice program. And so Ariana is very capable. She's also been a part of this group, uh, Speed Rack, uh, which is all about kind of bringing women to the front in bartending and training them up. But anyway, she uh, sat down to share uh, very unexpectedly her uh, CAP experience with us. And so you'll get to hear a little bit about it. Um, but so with that, uh, Marshall, we are at the tail end of what's, I feel like, I've been to business conventions before that are two and a half days, and I'm like crawling to the finish line. And Tails is like five plus days if you want to go all in, and we mostly have done that. So what are your overall thoughts and reflections on what you've seen and and learned so far? I do think that it is a a marathon and not so much a sprint. Uh, I I feel like my overall uh, perception is that I'm happy that came down here. I'm happy that we had the opportunity to bounce around from bars, whether it being industry events or just being able to experience uh, an actual service like at Payshods, um, being able to sit down and, and uh, support New Orleans um, as a whole, which is a big facet of Tales of the Cocktail. Um, yeah, was an honor and it was a blast. And at first overwhelming, uh, at sometimes 
you know, confusing and underwhelming, but it was overall, uh, yeah, it was a unforgettable experience. Very cool. It is cool where like we've talked about how it is, I think both the gift and a curse asset and liability that tails is really kind of sprinkled throughout the city. And so it can make logistically it getting around difficult. Uh, you schedule yourself back to back and don't realize that where you need to go is, you know, six, eight miles away. Um, so it is hard to get around, but it is cool that you're able to sprinkle it in and out of places in particular. And it's nice that many of them are also a short walk at times. Uh, being in New Orleans in July is, of course, uh, we've been a giant sweat and rain fest down here. But I would agree also being able to duck into a place that like, you know, you were like, oh, like there's Arnaud's where the French 75 is from. Or like, oh, like, oh, the Peychaud's bar is just over here. And to feel some of that distinct New Orleans culture, you know, one of the things I thought about too is that, um, you know, while New York and London get the credit oftentimes for the um, rebirth of the cocktail, uh, there's certainly arguments to be made that cities like in San Francisco and in New Orleans, while maybe much less than today, the cocktail never really let, it was, it still had its underlying currents out there. And so it's interesting to see a city that is so of the cocktail world right here. Yeah, I completely agree. And like, that's a good point too, actually. Yeah, New York is very much so kind of like the rebirth of the cocktail, but the cocktail never left New Orleans. Like it's been here um, since inception uh, and yeah, has, has never left. And it's, it's such an ingrained part of this culture, which is why they do it down here. And again, to support the local businesses and yeah. And I think if we can take anything away from this weekend is that uh, with a, a, a smile and a bit of luck you could get into anywhere that you want to get into <laughs> while you're here hopefully nobody from tales of the cocktail is listening to any of this but yeah i think uh, to to anybody else out there who's a first timer or just hasn't pushed hard enough uh most things you can seemingly strong arm your way into you know if there's uh if there's if there's tickets or whatnot you might have to uh you know but, but in certain instances, we're like, oh, like, sorry, the, the guest list is full or whatever. Like last night, we were at the Diageo. What's up, Diageo? Uh, we were at their party, and like, we did not RCP. And basically, we were standing around too long in line, and the the, the bouncer just like said, told, basically told, yelled at us to get inside as quickly as possible. So, <laughs> um, of the things you tasted or learned this week anything anything stand out for you as like man like I, th- th- this was really cool or I'm glad I did this I did um I did stumble into a seminar um primarily from uh like Spanish and French producers um and there was a gin I believe called Normandy gin that uh was from a Calvados distillery and I've lately just been like actively loving Calvados as a whole and um, we carry a couple apple distillate gins at uh, Valerie and I've always like loved the body and aromatics that uh, those gins have and that Normandy gin is one that is on my list for uh, the next menu Um, I thought it was absolutely delicious Uh, and also, it, of course, there was a uh, Suze was in the conversation. So being able to converse with someone from the distillery and even learn a bit more about a product that I love and preach 
Um, like I didn't know that it was a blend of wild gentian root and, and uh, cultivated. Um, and I didn't know that they macerated the, uh, the wild gentian root uh, like into their neutral grain for, I don't want to misquote, it, it was a, a lengthy amount of time. Um, and yeah, I, I just didn't know those little bits about it. Like, obviously I, you know, you know, it's a, a gentian bitter forward French aperitif and, uh, very herbaceous and vegetal and, um, you know, you're learning to, to like it. You'll get there. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm, that was, that was really fascinating. Something I kind of like triggered for me that I would be interested if you could break down a little bit. So, um, Calvados is one of these things. So, okay, it is a it's a a, a French apple brandy, mm-hmm. you know, coming from a specific region of France. So, in order for someone to think about, okay, you you were talking about Calvados, and if, even if they knew what that was, okay, so it's an apple brandy. Is the way Marshall that they end up with a gin? Are they so? Are they distilling like? the brandy down to the point where it's more neutral and then bring it in or how does one as opposed to end up with apple brandy how does one end up with a gin instead i, I believe that it has to be you you have to have a like a neutral grain distillate for gin and i do believe that it's like a percentage combination of their apple distillate to their um neutral grain um i do know that like there's a uh, producer, the McKenzie Distillery in Finger Lakes, New York. They make Seneca Drums gin that they call a neutral grape distillate as they create kind of like a grape-based neutral grain distillate through blending. Um, yeah, so like it is a combination of the neutral grain and an apple distillate. Um, and then it's just like the the same with grapes too. Like, I, like the reason why brandy and Calvados and everything and all those and like Pisco are so um, specific is all terroir. So uh, it, it, the same reason why we go bananas for a specific bottle of wine, like that's how, especially in France, that's how they go for their brandies and Armagnac and Cognac and, and Calvados. And uh, yeah, I think it's just like a great different mouthfeel that's provided to the gin um, that isn't really there a lot of the times with with a neutral grain base for someone that's maybe using something like um tangeray or beef eater as a a landing point Mm -hmm. so with this normandy that you tried is it going to be because of the calvados coming in uh is is the juniper more diminished or or equaled or how would you I mean if you I'm, it was it was a couple of days ago but how would you think about it compared to a traditional London dry? Yeah, I mean I think if you're comparing it against like a Tangeray as like the quintessential London dry, um, less juniper. Um, also, I do remember the producer saying that he lived in India for a time and there was a lot of kind of like Indian spices into the gin distillate and. Um, so like it, it was definitely like a more kind of like rounded, uh, not your average gin. Like you, you wouldn't be your pull for, for a standard cocktail, I don't think. But I think that using it as a specific base, you'd be able to create a lot of really nice kind of like warming spice note. It's a good bridge gin is how I look at those ones. Like we talked about that before is like using like a barrel aged gin or kind of like a gin of a different base 
you can help grab those people that may not be the biggest gin lovers. Right. And that, that's actually what he said is his dad, his father, I guess at one point had too much Gordons, uh, which, you know, we've all been there. Um, and just said he couldn't, couldn't drink gin anymore, hated gin. And when he told his father that he was going to start distilling a gin, he like laughed at him and was like, what are you talking about? And then he loves the gin that he ended up making. So, Damn. Okay, cool. No, that's not, that, that's, that's helpful. Yeah. And for me, I think one is I've already rubbed in, in your face once or twice because you couldn't get in unfortunately like the uh, yeah I, I went to an event on clarified milk that was um if anything for me you know it's it's interesting as i uh, i accept my rising knowledge and ability in this field but still at times that i love that this field can surprise me where i'm at a cocktail conference which to some degree like i still feel like like oh i'm going to a marketing conference i would feel like more like esteemed even though i'm not like in some minor weak moments if i may but to go to this event and it be so like, here's how, you know, we've been clarifying doing milk punches for hundreds of years, right? And then to have this one bartender, Gareth Howells, I think is his name, he's a Bacardi guy, has just had this relentless career love affair with it. And to feel him up there just pouring his heart out, talking about the time that he has just had to throw away gallons and gallons because the clarification process didn't take right, uh, his learning journey. And then to see Bacardi turn around and drop a food scientist into that room as well was just, it was so dorky in the best way possible. We're like, we're going to explain to you how, how casein and other proteins are separating. And, you know, it was just, it was so cool to see her on that mechanical, functional, scientific level break down the process. Probably unnecessary, but to really back up how and why the, the curdling, clearing process works, it was just, um, it was really kind of magical for me and a, a great moment where I was like, this, this is really another sign of like why I love this because you can feel the passion but the study that goes into these things too, like the craft of making any distillate too, you know? You know, it's easy to be like, all right, I'm drunk in a bar right now, but really the passion, the love, the time, uh, the fuck-ups that like make these things possible is just really magical too. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Um, as well as we both ended up in stumbling into the uh, letters to, um, I believe uh, letters to like oneself. Or uh, a young to, bartender. A young bartender. Um, that was, uh, for those in that room know, that was a tear-jerking, uh, very moving experience. And that is one of the ones that you walk away with, like, you know, heavy-hearted but head held way up, knowing that you're kind of in the same community as such great people. And, uh, yeah, that was, a, that was definitely a, a great one to fall into. Yeah, yeah. Again, thanks to Tails for allowing us to unknowingly sneak into events that we're not <laughs> supposed to be at but it uh but yeah I, I think you know you've been at this for a while but or at least compared to the people on that stage younger than I'm relatively new at least on a professional front and to see people that are at national levels who clearly have put in their time and we know this intuitively but to hear them just very openly talk about their struggles and their glories uh and and what they're really in it for is 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 a fun reminder of of the humanity of the people 
who can still sometimes seem so uh, untouchable or on top of the world, however you want to put that at times. Yeah, it was definitely a, and, and two, there were times where a uh, speaker was kind of like, you know, struggling through saying the words that they've written and to hear the room erupt and encouragement and applause was like, you, you know, that's what this industry is built on. Um, but a lot of times it gets lost and it is, it can be daunting this industry. And, um, that was a cool reminder for me who's been grinding for a long time to, mm-hmm. to be in that room and to see that encouragement from, you know, bartender to bartender, brand rep to brand rep, whatever you are in this industry. Um, that was really cool. It was a cool experience. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the editing process of podcasts is fickle, but hopefully in, uh, when you hear Marshall and, uh, Ariana talk about their time together, you know, she certainly talked quite a bit about, uh, in her experience as a cap that like, it's interesting post COVID and maybe even a little bit beforehand to see the industry seemingly at least to an extent be in a healthier place regarding work-life balance, not just crushing, you know, uh, you know, booze all the time, although there's plenty of booze to be, be consumed here. So yeah, it, it, it's cool to kind of see seemingly the field grow up and, uh, realize that we need to like look after ourselves in order to like, but this industry did not break you as I'm sure it's broken countless people. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there was big initiatives, um, from tails and from Seedlip, and they, they were, promoting like uh morning runs which was cool i neither of us you know uh, partook but we, you it was weren't there still, you don't know that yeah. i didn't make one <laughs> yeah <laughs> but it was uh it, that was a cool initiative to see and i do think just in general like seeing given the opportunity to which we've discussed at length too this week is being able to um see the people that I, we read their books, we see them on Instagram or in competitions, or we build their cocktails. We It was cool to be in the same room, to have conversations with them, um, to admittedly uh, fan out a little bit. Um, sorry, two schmucks team, but uh, that was a cool experience for me. Um, got to have a conversation with Dale DeGroff, which legend among legends and um that was very cool to drink a cocktail that he created for me and those around me and uh especially being in running a program in midtown the rainbow room is an absolute benchmark and um yeah it was that was a cool overall very cool experience i think um you know there's uh there's something really uh it, it, it's cool probably to be a part of a very, in, you know, cocktails are a long industry, but as we talked about this week, for something that is in this, you know, 30 years in or whatever to a revival or so, you know, primarily still having the elders available or around. And so you had to be walking around and just like, oh, there's, there's Dave Arnold. There's Dave Barry. There's, you know, uh, Dave Barry, Jeff Barry. Jeff Barry. <laughs> Jeff Barry. Dave Wondrich. That's, that's yeah. where the Dave was coming in. But yeah, just to see people, you know, earlier today, I was, we were, I was at this pig and punch event and Julie Reiner walked right past me. It's like, okay, yeah. Like, I mean, it's just like, you know, uh, giants to, to, to be able to be present with them still is pretty, uh, pretty cool. So looking on to next year or some other year, if you were to come back to tales, um, 
would you come for less time, try to be more strategic? Would you come and try to just like spread out and not work as much? Like how would you approach it? Because I don't know which parts I would want to give up, but we've both agreed that it's very taxing to be here the whole time. Yeah. I think, I think now after, you know, meeting our new friend, I could go in either direction. I could, I think doing the CAPS program would be beneficial and a really cool experience. And I imagine that's like you're here before and you're here after. Um, but I think if I would just come down, uh, me, Marshall, one more time, it would be for a shorter period of time. I would uh, pay more attention to the uh, the uh, ticket situation. <laughs> and I would, I would get myself into more of the like kind of... Uh, more of like the, the, the higher end seminars, uh, than, than I got into this time. Um, but yeah, I think, I think like three days would be a great experience. Um, maybe come on the, the earlier end. Uh, the spirit awards was like a fun experience being able to be surrounded by a bunch of our peers, um, uh, with four bars there uh, and, uh, unlimited food. That was great. Um, but like, it's not something that I think that I would like need to be at again. Um, but yeah. Yeah, And it does feel like, I think we, especially you can feel it on the wind down now, but you know, especially on Sunday, I know speed rack had an event, but like, you know, I think they purposefully front load the week knowing that like, this is an easy conference to blow yourself out of the water at if you're not careful. Yes. And, and I had lunch with, um, Phil Duff earlier and he was explaining to me the years and years this being the 20th year um, kind of like how it's evolved and changed and it was shorter it was longer it was um, but yeah it seemed like it was kind of more so like a three-day event is the 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 the, the best option like uh, I think the five days has been great but um, yeah <laughs> taxing is a good good adjective one day to tell a story about when I, when you survived five days at tails as opposed to needed to come and yeah the, the upside probably of working the cap program is i i've seen I've, i saw them out and about so clearly they're not just locked down the whole time but hey if you, if you get to work um hopefully it at least um yeah it keeps you more uh, in line a little yes. bit more and there's times you just like there's lots of dead time to kill which just is exhausting too, yeah so. which is just more from one event to another and i also say that knowing that you and I were probably some of the most well-behaved individuals this entire week. Um, so it's not like we burned the candle at both ends or got after it, but the opportunity is endless to do that, <laughs> to do that. The, the, to anybody listening who has not been, the level of drunk you could get here for free is was just insane. And certainly stayed out plenty late and certainly had plenty of uh plenty of tipples uh this week but um yeah tried to like just like especially if you're playing the long game you cannot blow blow the doors off like that so yeah yeah we knew we were in for the five day and uh worked out well that we were both kind of on the similar mindset um to kind of play the long game down yeah, yeah. anything else we uh haven't covered that you want to get into it all That's a good question. It's hard, too, because we've discussed all of this over the course of the week over and over again. Um, but I think, uh, I think, I, uh, like, being here for the first time after this many years was 
awesome and I'm I'm great with that but I do think coming back again I'd be with more purpose and uh, you know whether hopefully being an in uh, having the opportunity to be nominated for a spirited awards for the the work that everyone on my bar is doing um or you know just uh, for the caps program or or anything like that but um overall i think pretty satisfactory uh trip down here to new orleans yeah i'd be interested to kind of uh dig into the city a little bit more and see it but um yeah overall a good time and just um yeah now that i've seen the the conference i know how to tackle it better i think so yeah um i do appreciate the uh, plethora of water that was that was handed out this week although as i expressed throughout the week the bubbly water the perrier uh is a lot to take in when it's your main source of hydration y'all marshall's not getting yeah. older and the reflux from and all those bubbles are not real. working okay <laughs> no note to self note to self cool well i think we're going to go down uh, to distiller's room sorry you can't be there um and uh yeah thanks for thanks for this this honestly i, I mean this uh it's been great to tag along with you all week so thank you it's been fun and let's go see some distillers I yeah guess, so. i'm glad that we had the the time to like link up and hang out and bop around and figure out how to get into everywhere that we weren't supposed to be yeah. <laughs> into all week long that's right let's go see what other trouble we can find yeah so. let's do it but i think having that initial conversation about uh work-life balance um like on the reopen uh like we were shut for 13 months from march 2020 to april 2021 and uh speaking with ownership like having to have that conversation from someone that fought for those 13 months to make sure that the bar didn't shut or shutter um and having that conversation with him as someone like on the the the, the floor working side by side with our bartenders and servers and everything like that and having that conversation of like yo the work-life balance is honest and it's a real thing and people are done doing six you know 12 hour shifts oh and, yeah and, and like <laughs> but in new york city where you're just grinding from open to close and like i it it's super interesting here too i don't know if you saw like these bars a lot of them just don't do lunch service anymore because mm-hmm. unfortunately they just don't have the staff. Like I'm not sure what it's like in Salt Lake City, but it's a, a real thing here that I've noticed all week long and New York too. Like staffing is just an issue all the time. Yeah, no, I've definitely like noticed that in Utah. Um, and I feel like just being here, like coming back into the CAP program after COVID and seeing how many people who I've been like friends with and have had a close work relationship like across the industry with, um, who have changed and like for the better, I think they've kind of reevaluated what they value most in their lives and what they want at the forefront of their lives. And I think like, I don't know, I'm all for, you know, the workers always. So I think it's more sustainable. Yeah. Even if it's like a bit disappointing to like the customer base, like, for people working in the industry, it's a more sustainable change because so many people burn out. Yeah. And like the burnout was real (laughs) before COVID and the, the anxieties and like stress levels and people's drinking habits were at such like a high rate in 2019. Like it was 
really interesting to see it now. Like I have a semi, like a relatively small crew, mm-hmm. and like but they go out just like everyone would beforehand. But it's just not to the same degree, which is kind of nice. Oh yeah, it's it's way nice, and I've loved seeing like all the health stuff here, like people getting up and running, doing yoga, um, all yeah. the advocacy for like if you don't want to drink, you don't have to. Yeah, like that's a huge shift in our industry's mentality. There was a really big NA presence which I thought was nice because I've always worked with seed lips specifically just like Mm -hmm. oh I just have friends that introduced me to the product like five years ago or something like that and I've just like always used it on my menus and I actively avoid any conversation around mocktails only non-alcoholic cocktails to like stand up to it and make sure that people know that we're putting in the same efforts on this section of the menu as any other section of the menu and like we support anyone that wants to come to the bar and not drink but still enjoy what they're drinking i love Um, that yeah like i living in utah there's a big religious presence there so there's a lot of people that don't drink and i try and use kind of the same language around it um because those people are used to coming into bars and only having like coke diet coke or like you know a really not great drink mixed up for them and so i try to like use different language and use NA spirits and really make those people feel like they have a space in the bar. Yeah, especially in a whiskey distillery bar. Yeah. Like you would expect that 90% of your clientele is coming in for whiskey and tastings and things like that. So is there a specific one that you lean towards? I mean, I also love Seedlip. I also recently was working on a project and was able to try the Livener, the Three Spirit, I think it's like watermelon juice based. Yeah. Um, it was incredible. So I want to definitely bring I'm, that. I'm actually interested in that too. Cause I just did, I'm opening a new program, um, uh, in like a month and I'm like completing the menu and doing all the NA and three spirit came through and I thought all, all three of them were rad and the livener was my fav- favorite too, but it was a completed cocktail in a bottle. So like, did you, f- find that or did you find that like it was something that you wanted to play with I mean I was I still played with it I didn't modify too much like I did basically a Collins E variation with it Uh, but I thought on its own like standalone it's so delicious which I think is unique in the kind of NA world we haven't had a lot of things until recently until all these brands have come up that have been like standalone delicious zero proof spirit yeah yeah. Um, did you notice back to like this week that Liar was like a huge part oh, down here along were, with Seedlip? And yeah, they were was... a huge part of the CAP program. So they actually sponsored our breakfast one morning and they made um, an NA espresso martini. And we've been living off of it all week. It was so good. So, yeah. Is this your CAP swag bag that you finally got? <laughs> yeah, it is my CAP swag bag. Yeah. Um, and a culmination of the week <laughs> worth of swag in one? Uh, no, this is just from this lunch. Okay. So Campari sponsored a lunch and, you know, got a bunch of goodies for my bar team back home and also for myself. How did you, um, like when you initially got into the CAT program? Because I actually just, like I've been working in cocktail bars since uh, like 2012 and uh, this is just like the first time that I like allowed myself to come down here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just recently had lunch right before this with Phil Duff and he was talking about the CAP program and I didn't really know. Obviously, there's people behind the scenes making sure the Tails is running efficiently and effectively. But like, how did you get involved in that? And 
and like being second year, you said in a senior position, how does that feel or change or whatever? Yeah, I mean, I also didn't know the CAP program existed, so I knew about tails like before doing my first year um, as a red coat. Uh, and I just was looking for more opportunities. Salt Lake's a super, super small market, and I just really wanted to branch out. I had done speed rack. I had done a couple other things, but um, I just felt like my thirst wasn't really quenched. And so I was just doing research and actually found the CAP program and applied uh, and was lucky enough to get in. Um, and then as a leader in the program, like you see so much more of just how much everyone in this industry puts into tales, whether they're a presenter, a sponsor, an attendee, like there's so much heart behind it. Um, so that's a really beautiful part about kind of being higher up in the program. Now you see more of the big picture. No, yeah. that's cool. You should cap. Uh, I think I might <laughs> next year. I, I, I always have like one of my, uh, like, I guess like feelings towards tails is that like when I first heard about it was like, yeah, like 2011, 2012. And I was like bar backing and I was like, mm -hmm. no, this is like what you work for. This is what you get to. Like you come down here to tails and it's like a thing. And then as I started like opening programs and building programs, like it was uh, just like busy. I was like busy and it was just like, I didn't have allow myself time to, to do it. But I, I feel like with Barcom in Brooklyn and, um, tales and like I've always felt that like I would rather work and like I love bouncing around and I love meeting everybody and doing everything like that but I've always felt like I'm just like a worker and I like working and keeping busy so um, it is an interesting point to like do that and stay busy and like kind of still being involved and doing all these things but like just like on a different level yeah, I mean, you should totally, totally do it. Like, I think no matter how far along you are in your career, there's still stuff to be uh, gained from the CAP program. And uh, I definitely think I've never attended TELS outside of being a CAP, but I've attended other bar things outside of working and just, you know, being an attendee, attending seminars. I think being a CAP has definitely filled my cup a lot more than just attending does. Uh, I think there's more of an appreciation to the entire industry as a whole. Yeah. Yeah. Did you get to spend any time with like uh, Julie or Ivy or anything this week? Or have you met them? Um, yeah. So I've done speed rack. I was a final. Oh yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. you're good. You're good. Uh, lots of information this week and little sleep. Yeah. So I feel you. I was a finalist last year in New York. Nice. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. Um, so I know Ivy, uh, Julie was one of my judges, um, and I also cool. have a connection with Hawaii, lived there for a while, and so she is an amazing human, like someone I really look up to in the industry, but of course, with capping and working a lot, yeah, I haven't spent much time with anyone besides my, my workmates, which is also great, also you know, cool, yeah. it's bonding, so. Um, doing speed rack, like, especially since it seems like you're, you often take that initiative to kind of like be a part of the industry and... and, and like capping and speed rack and everything like that. Like I have um, three great bartenders on the bar that I recommend for speed rack all the time. And they, we are like a, you know, a, a soldier like jigger bar. Like mm -hmm. you, we measure every single pour, whether it be a teaspoon to two ounce or whatever. Um, but they like see the videos and they get nervous. They're like, no, everyone's free pouring. And I'm like, yo, I think you're some of the fastest bartenders I know, jigger or not. So, like, what's your word to them? 
yeah. for speed rack? That's a great question. I mean, so my bar is also like very jigger heavy, very all like accuracy is incredibly important to us. Um, so the first time I did speed rack, I was like, I can't do this. I don't know how to bump pour. Like I don't know how to make cocktails accurately without using a jigger, uh, but it's really easy to train yourself and do people jigger in competition absolutely so you have both you have people who free pour and you have people who jigger and there are people who have jiggered all the way to like you know top two there are people who have won and done it um so it's really personal methods but for my ease of mind i taught myself how to bump pour um and i would jigger like smaller things but for like base spirits or you know one ounce three quarter ounce like larger pours i bump poured um but there's so many ways to do it. Like that's the nice thing about speed rack isn't they don't confine everyone to like a one size fits all um, formula for being fast. They're very open to like how people have been trained, what they're comfortable with. So they should do it. You yeah, should I'm tell gonna, them. They I'm, have I to tell do them it. anytime <laughs> speed or uh, sorry, anytime speed rack posts anything, they immediately get a forward direct message from me on Instagram, and I'm just like, hey, 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 like this is. I just keep nudging and nudging. So. I'll get a little, I'll poke a little harder for for the next competition. It's truly life-changing. Like, send them to me. Like, seriously, send them to me. I will. I, getting into it, I had no idea what what I was getting into when I started. And no regrets. Like, it's an incredible community. It's so fun. It's a challenge. You really grow a lot, so. Well, it's funny, too, because, like, they actively, like, you know, it is when you're in that position of, like, kind of, the educated educator role like of a bar like I tend to hire people that have never bartended before Mm -hmm. or just have never really like cocktail bartended before um so I can not have to break a bunch of bad habits and kind of like help them along the way and I just think it's like like you create a more like passionate and uh like loyal bar team that way um but so like they they love the bars that I love because it's like I preach about them all the time and like Clover Club especially and uh, was like always been very important to me and Landa is like my wife and I go there and sit at the window only and just oh, like don't so speak to anybody and just like look <laughs> out and that's like our spot. Um, but they like all my whole like team goes to Clover Club and loves Clover Clubs and we have like one on our current menu like to Julie Reiner spec. Um, so, like, that's what I say, too, is, like, you know, if you all go do this, like, you're in the room, you're in the conversation, you're, like, right there with them. So, like, I'm, I'm pushing. They just need to go. <laughs> yeah. yeah, seriously, they need to do it. Like, um, it's, it's life-changing. Yeah. If I could tell anyone, you know, if I could go back in time and, like, start on that path sooner, I would have. Um, but no matter where you're at in your career, what age, what level, like, I think it's good. And I think they do a good job of making everyone feel included, whether, you know, you come from a dive bar, craft cocktail bar, whether you've been bartending for 15 years or two years or six months, you know, they're very inclusive. And I think that's very rare to have, um, such a big competition be that inclusive for a different range of people. So... I'm also like, it's one of those things that I keep saying every year I want to do too, but I've just, again, busy and busy, whatever, but like, I want a bar back for yes, speed rack. So like, if y'all, if you do it again, you need a bar back. Like <laughs> that's what I tell my team too. I'm like, as soon as you guys 
are there and you go into the competition, like I will bar back for you a hundred percent and just be there the whole time. So, Oh, you absolutely should. Yeah. Like that's one of the best parts is, is the barbacks and like yeah. having, um, men or like, you know, um, people in that space that are normally, I guess, in our society, which is a very patriarchal society, yeah. kind of being the support. Um, and, doing the things that I think women or femme identifying people usually do. It's a nice role reversal. It's really refreshing and it feels really supported. So yeah. It's and, nice. And also like I'm a really good barback. So it's <laughs> like well, I want you I'm to just like here I'm like here for it all rack. the time. You let me know. I will be there. Your juices will never be empty. Thank like you. I'm Thank right there. You. I got you. You hyping me up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's hundred percent. I'm a hype man and your barback. It's one one in the same. That's the best yeah. kind of barback there is. <laughs> um, I think I have to get back okay. to doing inventory in the cap room. But thank you guys so much. It was so lovely to meet you. Hey everybody. Thanks for listening. If you liked the interview, the transcript and show notes are located at decodingcocktails.com slash podcast. The Decoding Cocktails podcast is produced by Chris Bay and myself, Chris LeBeau. Subscribe to avoid missing an episode. And if you think this is good stuff, share it with a friend or review us on your listening platform. And check out our newsletter, Cocktail Confidential. Remember, the best way to get better at mixology is to practice. And the best way to do that is in the company of friends and family. Happy cocktailing, everybody. Thank you.